Welcome to 3Factor Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Vladimir Novik. I'm developer advocate at Hasura. Hasura is an open source engine that gives you an auto-generated real-time GraphQL API on top of a new or existing Postgres database. You can deploy it uh, to any cloud as well as to extend it with your own business logic, both by using your own GraphQL server or using serverless functions. Uh, Hasura is also our main sponsor of this podcast. And today on our panel, we have Kyle Shevlin. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Kyle Shevlin here. We have Tanmay Gopal. Hi, guys. And uh, Sean Swigswang. Hello. <laughs> and our honor guest for today is Jason Langstorff. Um, Jason Langstorff is developer advocate, senior engineer, and uh, as uh, your website says, occasional designer at Gatsby. Hi, Jason. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, great. So uh, before like we start and uh, storm you with questions about Gatsby and uh, um, like things, awesome things you can do with Gatsby, um, can you get, uh, give us kind of brief intro about yourself and how you got into programming in general? Sure. Um, so I, like a lot of people, at least Kyle on the show today, uh, got into tech through kind of a winding road that involved music. So I, I um, was in a rock band. The band was terrible, so nobody gave us any money, which meant that we didn't have money to hire designers or developers or anything like that. So I had to learn how to do it, um, which ended up being you know, pretty good for me because it turns out I was a bad musician, but a decent developer. Um, and over time, I went from you know running an agency to, uh, to working on uh, open source to working at IBM to now working at, at Gatsby. Yeah, that sounds an uh, interesting path uh, come from music. Uh, that, that's that's really interesting. Cool. So you work at Gatsby, right? And Gatsby, to some of our listeners that don't know uh, or haven't heard about Gatsby, is really awesome static site generator using React and GraphQL. But it's much more than that. So um, Jason, if you can, please kind of explain briefly to our listeners what Gatsby in, uh, is in a nutshell and why you definitely should use it. Sure. So Gatsby is, um, it, it's a way to use React to build extremely flexible apps and websites because we abstract data um, at a GraphQL layer, which means that you can pull data from any source, whether it's a, a YAML file or a JSON file, whether it's markdown files, whether it's a, a database or a software as a service system like um, Shopify or Stripe or uh, you know WordPress's API, really anywhere where you can get data. We can consume that into GraphQL. Uh, yeah, we consume that into GraphQL and then expose it as a as kind of a unified data layer, so that you can build in a really predictable stack. And the artifacts on the other side are um, static assets that you can host on S3, on Netlify, on uh, on really like any kind of cloud bucket storage, and serve through a CDN. So your hosting costs are just about zero. And from there, you're able to uh, to rehydrate that app on the client side into a fully featured React app. So you don't lose any of the kind of dynamic benefits of building something that's server hosted. Um, you just kind of gain the benefits of using static assets. So so basically, it's, uh, it's like uh, if, even uh, if it started as a, sta- a static site generator, it's not the static sites anymore, right? So it's like uh, static assets that hosted on uh, Netlify or S3 or basically any uh, kind of uh, uh, any CDN basically, and um, 
you can use uh, these assets and like query um, like any server that you like, right? Yeah. So the, I mean, the, the, like frameworks like React and Angular and Vue have have been pretty game changing in the sense that you don't need a server to run fully featured apps anymore. So what Gatsby's doing is it's just making it possible to early bind data that doesn't change very often. Um, if you were to build just a standard create React app site or an Angular app. Um, well, a, a non-server rendered Angular app, you you end up having to kind of make these requests at, at runtime to load in data. Um, when you're doing it with Gatsby or, or server-side rendering in general, you're able to make those requests at build time so that you don't have to wait for those, those requests to resolve. Uh, the way that Gatsby has it set up is it's a good abstraction over data so that you don't, your developers, the people actually building the site, don't have to think about where that data comes from or how it's related to itself. You're just able to say, all right, I have my WordPress posts and my my Shopify products and my Markdown docs and, and all of that's available in the same place. So it's a very predictable way of getting that data for the early render. Um, once you get onto the client side, the any asynchronous calls that you do are done the same way that you would do it in Create React App or, or any other kind of dynamic client side language. Did that actually answer your question? I feel like I got a little lost there. No, no, it's actually, uh, um, it kind of answers my question. It uh, actually brings me to another question. So it's it's perfectly in place. So you talk about like uh, like loading these and uh, and like rendering these on the client. And I thought about like the new, um, the, well, not, not kind of new, but there is like PRPL architectural pattern, right? So uh, it's like push, mm -hmm. render, pre-cache, and lazy load. Mm -hmm. So it's like, in a sense, using this pattern, right? Yes, that's kind of a core feature of Gatsby is we try to bake performance into the, the end product. Um, probably a, a major difference between using something like Gatsby and, uh, and some of the other options out there is that we look at the developer experience and the, the end user experience as kind of uh, primary objectives of, or I guess, you know, high level objectives, because you can have two primary things. But um, our, our major intention is to make sure that all of the performance best practices in the front end community uh, can be packaged up into the end result by default. Our goal is so that if you use Gatsby, the end result that you build uh, without any performance tuning or, or manual tweaking on your end ends up being the fastest possible website. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a core focus of ours and, and the, the purple pattern is, is part of that. Uh, so we, we make sure that we're optimized to support that. Yeah. My, my favorite fact about Gatsby is that the, the logo and just all your branding is purple. Um, hmm. and that, <laughs> that really evokes the purple. Yeah. It, uh... Yeah. It's actually Rebecca has a very, uh, historical name in CSS colors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's Rebecca Purple. Uh, we it's very coincidental that uh, like we didn't go with purple because of the purple pattern, but oh. it's a very happy accident. Like that makes me it makes me smile. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, the the original logo was designed um, with like a bunch of different colors, and then it standardized on purple just kind of by like com the community liked it. Uh, yeah, and uh, oh, uh, I was going to say like a key part of. Uh, Gatsby's, you know, like, uh, I think it's, it's a very, very heavy bet on GraphQL. Um, and, uh, I, 
mean, I'm sure I'm sure we're all interested in in uh, learning more about that. <laughs> I would say like uh, Batian GraphQL was like uh, initially was a really good idea because I I would say right now it's not it's not a question of of uh, using GraphQL right so it's like uh, I I'm running GraphQL bootcamp last um, a couple of days and uh, there was a question I I got like when I would use REST, and my answer was 2012. So, <laughs> so <the link. laughs> um, I mean, so one one thing that is kind of interesting about GraphQL is that it, it's still relatively early. Um, you know, I, I think we're, uh, a lot of people on this panel would, would qualify as like early adopters or, or whatever the thing is before early adopters. Um, and so to some of us, we've been using GraphQL for years and years, but for a lot of people, this is the first year that they're really hearing about it. Um, and so one of the problems that we've seen in, in Gatsby is that GraphQL is this is a very kind of overwhelming concept. Um, and so one of the things that we're, we're working on right now is trying to make it so that GraphQL is not a primary feature of, of Gatsby, something that you need to learn right out of the gate, but more of an opt-in advanced pattern for when you need to do special things with data. Um, we're doing work with themes and and trying to find ways to make the authoring experience of Gatsby uh, more about the content you're creating and making the developer experience something that you progressively opt into. So you'll kind of eject a component and then you play with its data as opposed to having to write all that by, by hand to start. That's really interesting. Um, I think I recently saw a tweet, maybe even from Ryan Florence in response to Brad Frost about the idea of... Uh, like he's built Gatsby sites where he just literally has JSON files sitting around. And rather than using uh, one of the transformers that uh, digests mm -hmm. JSON and puts it into the, the GraphQL uh, of data of the app, he just consumes the JSON by importing it directly into the files he needs it. So uh, is that kind of what you're talking about there, about having a different kind of user story than just simply uh, the transforms and the Gatsby plugins to the GraphQL layer? Uh, yes, it, well, yes and no, because on the one hand, absolutely. Like you don't need to use GraphQL to build a Gatsby site. You can, you can, you know, hard code stuff into JavaScript objects or use JSON or whatever without any of our plugins or transformers or any of that. Um, but then on the other end of that, what we're trying to do is put slightly better abstractions in place so that by default, you don't have to think about what those transformers are doing. It just makes data available. So that you you'll be working with React, uh, and the data will come in as props, and you don't have to write a query to think about it. You'll just know I'm you know I'm consuming a blog. Blogs have you know these props are available on the the blog like parent component, and you know then you just kind of write write content inside of that. Those are these are things that we're um, they're early stage, so we don't know what it actually looks like. But uh, if you're following the themes conversation, you'll start to see how that's shaking out. So that's I really cool. a, uh, Gatsby without queries. That's that's something new. It is. I, I, had yeah, a, I had a small question, Jason. I think one of the one of the things that might help people who are kind of maybe listening to this and 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 kind trying to grok Gatsby and GraphQL for the mm -hmm. um in in their first times, right? It the way Gatsby uses GraphQL is very different from the way you would traditionally kind of be introduced to GraphQL, right? So if you if you try to use GraphQL from the client, or you would think of it as a better way to make API calls. Or if you were mm -hmm. kind of building a GraphQL server, you would think of it as 
um, oh, you know, I'm, I'm building, instead of like having routes and mapping them to functions, I have a GraphQL schema and I'm mapping them to resolvers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe it would be a little bit kind of, um, it, it might help if you talk a little bit about when you say that GraphQL is the data layer for Gatsby, what that kind of actually means. Um, and, and you know, the, the, the way Gatsby uses GraphQL is very unique. So maybe a little bit of introduction to that would be super useful. Sure. So when you put anything into Gatsby's data layer, um, so if we start with a, a JSON file, for example, what you would end up doing is um, GraphQL by default is, is just kind of going to give us information about the site, what pages were created, stuff like that. So you can query that. And that would be the kind of the client side experience that, uh, that, that Tom and I is talking about. Um, but if you, if you want to add more data in, Gatsby has an interesting authoring experience where rather than writing a schema and, um, and kind of manually defining the resolvers and all of that stuff, we instead have a way to infer the schema of a, an object based on the data that you give us. So if you have your, your JSON and it's got a, you know, a name and a, uh, an array of something and, and you know, whatever, we'll, we'll look at the elements in those, that array of objects and identify like there's a name field, there's a, you know, there's a, a custom field for like the slug or, or whatever. And we build a GraphQL schema that, that makes that queryable. So the experience can definitely be a little bit odd because you're doing things like saying, um, you know, uh, here's a, an array of things. I want you to create nodes based on this array. Uh, and then those, those are kind of magically, we use, the, we use the relay compiler. So you'll start seeing these things like edges and nodes, which weren't present in the initial object, which can be kind of a, kind of a head trip if you've, if you've never dealt with it before. Um, to that end, to try to, you know, again, we're, we're trying to find ways to make this more approachable. We hired uh, Mikhail, no uh, Mikhail Novikov, he goes by Frixinet, and he is working on kind of rewriting our, our schema inference model, like the way that we build our schema to give options for doing it a more traditional way of you can define the schema and then data will have to match those types to actually be used. So we're, we're trying to get away from some of the, the magic um, the magic will still work, but we, we want to have the proper escape hatches so that people who really know GraphQL don't have to, don't have to follow, um, those like strong Gatsby opinions. They can, they can eject and, and do things the way that they would uh, ultimately want to write their own code. Um, if that makes sense. Does, did I answer your question? Yep. 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 Definitely. I think, I think that helps. Um, and I think, um, and, and, um, and, and, and so now when you talk about kind of ejecting from the graphql data layer right i think um i think maybe maybe kind of an example of you know what that experience might look like if you were building that gatsby if you were building something with gatsby but without using a graphql query to kind of um, query that data layer and then you know hydrate data for your component what would that what would that what could that experience look like um well so right now the way that that would work is we have a create page api and you define a, a slug and that's kind of, you know, if you, if you say the slug is blog, we'll put it at, uh, create, you know, your site.com slash blog. Um, you put in the component that you want to render, which, you know, would be like source component slash, you know, blog layout.js or something. Um, and then you can pass context and that context could have your title, your, your body content, et cetera, et cetera. And on the pro the, the page component, 
we will pass a prop called page context. And anything that you put into the context object, you're able to access in the page context prop, which means that you never really need to use GraphQL at all inside of Gatsby. Um, the reason that GraphQL is useful is that another way that you can get data is to write queries in your page components or using static queries, you can, um, you can write a static query uh, inside of your Gatsby stuff to access that, that data layer um, elsewhere in the code base. So with the, the standard context approach, you would have to pass everything down in context and then do prop drilling to get that down to subcomponents. Um, using GraphQL, you're able to access the data as needed. Um, you could solve this with context, but now you're in user land, you're managing your own state. Um, we kind of abstract that away so that you don't have to think about it and make it a little easier to get at things at, at varying levels of your code base. Um, but with the, the new schema definition, really all that changes is right now, if you have a Gatsby site and you say, I expect that my blog posts are going to have a, a title and in the front matter, they're going to define whether or not they're published. So there'll be like a draft equals true or false. Um, if your component relies on that front matter dot draft uh, prop being set, but you only have one post and that post doesn't set the draft in the front matter, your site would crash on build saying that the, the front matter component isn't defined. And so obviously this is a problem for people who are building starters or trying to hand off an empty code base to somebody because the, um, the first run breaks and you just have to know, well, I have to go write a post that has this, this like draft field in the front matter so that Gatsby will build. Um, so the, the work that, that we're doing to fix that would allow a theme author or a starter author to say, in this particular th part of the schema, I expect that these fields will be available. And then you can ship with no dummy data and it still just works. Does that make sense? Yep, sort of. <laughs> it, it's very hard to explain that without uh, without examples. <laughs> we probably need to stream these examples. Like I uh, I do weekly streams. I uh, like two times a week. I think you also do two weekly streams. So we we just need to set the stream and just walk through the code and to show people how it how it looks like. And it brings me actually to the mm -hmm. next question. Like um, you said that you have uh, page components. Page components, you can just write your queries and basically get all the data, right? So I um, I know that like mm -hmm. I think the blog post was from from September or something like that, or October. I I don't remember. Uh, but um, you now can support like stitching queries from like third party API, something like that. Uh, am I right? Yes. Yeah. We have a, a source plugin called Gatsby Source GraphQL that it effectively lets you define a, um, a top level query and your whole schema gets put under it. So basically it means in my page, I don't need to use like um, um, GraphQL in the way I, uh, I used to use. I don't need to set up a client or something. I, I can just write my query because my schema is staged. I can query uh, anything from my own GraphQL server. Is that right? That Yeah, that's 100% correct. Yeah, that, that's, that's a super cool thing. We, we probably need to talk... Uh, at some point about like how uh, these things work under the hood because um, with Hasura also kind of infer schema from 
um, uh, from Postgres database. And uh, Tanmay obviously can uh, talk a bit more about that, and uh, you can talk more about like how it's done under the hood in uh, in Gatsby. But probably for for like totally separate. Uh, even not a podcast, it's supposed to be some kind of stream and just like showing things around, right? Something like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely easier to explain with a code example. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we mentioned several times about having different plugins in Gatsby. So, um, mm-hmm. and uh, there are like tons of them and lots of starters, if you look at the Gatsby site, lots of starters use like tons of these plugins. So, um, how would uh, a newcomer know what uh, what is the best for him? I guess because there are like tons of different styling solutions, different um, like um, really tons of plugins to choose from. So, how do a newcomer knows what what is the best way? Like maybe like some starter that you can suggest. Yeah, so this is, I think, kind of just a general problem in in the JavaScript ecosystem is if you're a newcomer, it's really overwhelming because there are so many options and, and all of these options are very powerful and they they all seem to solve the same problem in different ways. So picking the best choice is it's such a relative thing. Um, so one of the ways that we try to address this is by making sure that what what we're allowing you to do is bring your preferred tech to Gatsby. Our plugin ecosystem is definitely favoring people who know what they want out of a a JavaScript site and allowing them to say, okay, I'm a React dev. I want to work with emotion. I want to use, um, you know, TypeScript or, or whatever it is that you want to use. And so you can come in and install the TypeScript plugin, install the emotion plugin, and you can, uh, kind of build out your whole site using your preferred stack and Gatsby just does optimizations under the hood. For somebody who's not sure what the best solution is or is trying to decide between the different solutions, um, we have, we don't really have strong opinions about that. You know, we, we don't want to tell people that one tool is better than another tool because for your, for your particular use case, that might not be true. Um, so instead, what we try to do is is like the live streams. Um, we try to put together examples. The the starters are a good way to to look at that, and the upcoming themes are going to take that even a step further. Because ultimately, for somebody who doesn't care about the tech stack and just wants something that works, our theory is you should just be able to show up to a website, pick out a template that you like, and add data to it. You shouldn't have to think about the tech stack at all. Um, we don't know how like at what level people want to be at. So our goal is to make sure that, you know, like, like I said, the, the progressive exposure of complexity, we want you to be able to start at zero and add complexity as needed to do the customization that you want to do. Um, for example, if you like in Gatsby right now, if you want to, you can jump all the way down into your Babel and Webpack config and customize everything. Um, but you don't have to, you don't have to think about it. You can just install a new Gatsby site and hit develop or, and build it and it's done and it, it just works. And we want to keep that experience all the way through, um, which is kind of what starters are solving now and what themes will, starters are evolving into themes, um, which will kind of uh, take that one step further is the goal. Yeah, so that sounds great. So other question that I had uh, is um, basically about the kind of limits of Gatsby. Are there any 
limits than that like Gatsby has in terms of like if I want to consider using Gatsby for my startup and um, like what are the limits when you uh, would suggest to look further or you will uh, suggest to maybe investing more time in research or maybe even writing your own custom plugins and stuff like that. At, um, at present, the biggest challenge with Gatsby is really, really large, high volume sites. So if you were running something like Amazon or Wikipedia, where there are, you know, tens of thousands of pages and there are, um, updates multiple times per second, um, building things ahead of time doesn't really make sense in that use case. So you would have to look at the trade-off between like what frequency does your data update with and how long does it take to complete a build of your site with the, the scale, the, the number of pages. Um, we find that after about 10,000 pages, Gatsby builds start to be, uh, it's a noticeable amount of time. It still often takes less time to build a Gatsby site than it does to clear an edge cache. But um, if you had multiple updates per second, that could be a problem. So it tends to be kind of a, a, uh, a combination of the frequency of data updates and the quantity of pages and, and data that you're querying. Um, that's where we, we tend to run into the upper limit of what Gatsby's capable of for now. And that's part of what we're, we're starting to work on as a company, you know, Gatsby's commercial offering is trying to solve that problem of, of building massive websites statically in a near instantaneous amount of time. So when we are talking about updates, we're basically talking about like rebuilding the whole site or we're talking about like specific updates in the UI. So I didn't quite get it. So when you change data in Gatsby, the only way that you can reflect the, the data that powers the site is by rebuilding the entire site. Um, so, you know, the, the, this is kind of a sticking point for people when they first start to think about it. Um, because what you're saying is that if I have a hundred blog posts on my site and I correct a typo in one of them, I'm going to rebuild all 100 blog posts to, to make that change. Um, and so people are like, well, isn't that wasteful? And it is, we want to fix it. We want to get to the point where we're only fixing what changed, but Ultimately, it's still less wasteful than running a server for 24 hours a day. So that's kind of the goal that, that we have is to, is to keep that, um, you know, when you, when you run into the point where the server is doing less work than rebuilding the site on a continuous basis, that's the kind of the limit of Gatsby right now. And, and that's the one we're trying to overcome with, with incremental builds. Uh, cool. Sounds, uh, sounds interesting. Um, Sean, you had a question, I think. You raised your hand. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just I'm just curious what the intuition like. Is it a dirty flag? Um, is it some sort of change detection? <laughs> um, like, you know, I think I think I think definitely incremental builds are something that uh, you know we're all interested in, um, especially like you say, solving the, uh, you know, I I feel like there's there's two problems, right? One is. One is yeah the if you if you add a single blog post you you rebuild the hundred blog posts but then the other is like if you change a header um, you you necessarily change all the blog posts right um, mm. but that but that rebuild is also pretty expensive like it would be awesome to cache um, whatever the sort of intermediate build uh, step is so that it, basically I, I you know I, I kind of I kind of wonder if there's there's a space for 
um, cold reloading, kind of like it's it's kind of like what we do in hot reloading, where we have an idea of of connections to every single component, and then ref and then swap out only the stuff that um, is changed. Um, anyway, I'm just I'm just curious. You, on, so on you mean what, like in the client, like if the if the client was uh, was open, you would you would only swap out the piece that changed? Not even if the client was open. If I'm just talking about rendering, um, and uh, I mean, I'm just curious, like what the what the mechanics of in- incremental rendering w- might entail. Sure. Okay. So, um, it, like, huge flaming warning that uh, everything that I'm talking about is very theoretical. <laughs> um, but like the way that the way that we're looking at it is, it's it's a caching problem, and so it's very difficult. Like, caching is one of the hardest problems to solve. Well, but kind of the the general sense that we get is that the website that you build is a it's a pure function based on the components and the data so in theory if we know the data that went in and we know the components that were used to render it we should be able to to know relatively certainly that the output will always be the same for a given input um, that's one of the huge benefits that we get of early binding data is that, you know, we we don't have variable data on pages. We we have everything at build time. And so theoretically speaking, what we ought to be able to do is some kind of a reconciliation algorithm that would be able to see only what changed and uh, and just invalidate the the tree based on where that change occurred. And granted, that is a vastly, grossly oversimplified approach. But it's, um, you know, kind of the, the nuts and bolts of it. It should, in theory, be possible. And that's kind of what we're, we're starting to look at. Yeah, I wonder if you can use React to, to do that. that. That would be really cool. It's, I mean, if we can leverage other people's work to make this happen, yeah. we will be extremely happy. <laughs> um, you know, it, we're still in the, the experimental phase right now because we're, we're trying to solve other problems uh, ahead of this. Because, you know, like I said, the schema, the GraphQL schema stuff and, and some other things that are, are under active development right now um, are blockers for people, whereas incremental builds are very important, but, you know, it's not part of a broken experience. Awesome. So basically, like for now, if I have uh, God's beside and I want to add some kind of um, IoT dashboard on this side with like real-time updates uh, in like, several updates in a second that's not the best way to go well i mean you with something like that with real-time updates you would most likely end up handling that on the client side anyways at which point gatsby's fine because once you get into client side you're not triggering rebuilds so if if what you would be doing is a client side react app um gatsby supports client only routes so something that would be behind authentication that you would never build on the server anyways is um, that's a completely reasonable use case for Gatsby. So it's basically uh, kind of having static website with uh, uh, like dynamic code in this uh, in this website, like behind some kind of route. This is totally possible, right? Yeah, like that's how our store works. For example, when you um, when you go to our our store front page, the products are rendered ahead of time. That that data is persistent, but we don't we don't do anything with user data. So once you log in, the uh, the user data is all rendered on the client side and only on the client side. 
uh, sounds cool. I definitely should try to do that. Actually, we have like from our previous episodes, we talked with Gant about doing some kind of IoT stuff. So we probably three of us should get mm. on the on the stream and just live code it together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, you had a question. Yeah, uh, more of a comment uh, just related to what Jason was saying about being able to rehydrate your app client side. I've always liked to think of Gatsby as when it creates my website, may it, maybe it's that 100 blog posts we're talking about. I like to think of each page as its own server-side rendered React app that once I'm on that page now is a complete uh, React app that rehydrates and moves about routes client side, right? So essentially, mm -hmm. I get as many server side rendered apps as I have pages in my app. Is is that a correct way to think about it? I, it's been useful for me, but if that's incorrect, I would love to know how and why. No, that's I, I would say that's that's pretty accurate because what we're what we're doing is I mean it's it's one it's one rendered app because the code base is the same but you can enter it from multiple different static pages. So if when, once you go to the blog post, um, any given route that's publicly available would be rendered as static HTML. So if you mm -hmm. build your site with Gatsby, you could turn off JavaScript and still use your website. Um, right. all, the, all the content is there. You can still like read things. So it's very SEO friendly and, and, uh, and friendly for people who don't use JavaScript. Um, but once you hit that page, if JavaScript is enabled, it mounts that app on top, determines where it is, and then you get the router and, and all that stuff. So yeah, I think your, your mental model is, is very accurate. Yeah, I think it's really useful to help people understand Gatsby that way too, that are coming to it, because I think I've faced a lot of people ask me about similar things, like having, uh, as Vlad Vladimir suggested, like uh, data that I need to fetch every few seconds. Like mm. you can throw that in component did mount, no problem. Or now you can use hooks uh, if you have React uh, 16, 18. Is that, or is that right? I think that's the right number. 16.8. A point eight, yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, di didn't you? Because uh, you actually built some client side stuff into your blog post, didn't you? Yes, I did. Uh, recently, I added a fun little. Uh, I called it a beard strokes feature. It's similar to like medium claps, um, where people can multiple. They can click on my beard as many times as they would uh, up to fifty to to like a post of mine. <laughs> And it was very simple. Uh, that's actually what's so great about Gatsby is is that um, it was really pretty much as simple as connecting a Firebase database and being able to hit it uh, during component to mount. And then um, you know Firebase has real time updates, and so my component can reflect that state. I'm just listening to values change as people hit it, and it automatically mm -hmm. uh, updates. It's it's pretty easy experience. There were some challenges with getting. Firebase uh, to play nice during Gatsby builds because of um, specifically uh, Firebase references the window object at mm, a yeah. time that was incorrect. And so I had to do some lazy loading of Firebase's SDK. But once I got mm. around that, it was pretty simple. I actually have a post about that I can share in some uh, show notes if anyone's interested. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually also did... Um... I was pretty excited because I, I, I thought about this. And uh, so we hosted, uh, I work in LFI, we hosted a uh, hackathon with Free Code Camp 
Um, and then uh, obviously uh, Gatsby and Hasura were both very um, popular tools at the at the hackathon. Um, but then I feel like a lot of people like don't really understand that you can like static and dynamic is a spectrum of like you can have as much dynamic as you want uh, as long mm. as you have a, a sort of hydrated React app on this on the on the front end. So um, I was pretty excited to like I wrote a blog post for for the Gatsby blog um, showing how you could sort of turn like incrementally stuff into a dynamic um, routing situation and then fetch data and all that. So. Um, not to plug my own stuff, but uh, I feel like people should understand that about uh, you know static site generators and, and, and Gatsby in particular. Yeah, it, it's hard. It's a hard thing to overcome because like the the the, word, the mental static. model of like static site generation is static. It doesn't do anything. And for those of us who have worked with Jekyll or Hugo and and seen that like when we get the the rendered asset, it's like. HTML and CSS and anything that's dynamic is like hand rolled JavaScript that you're kind of shoehorning into their build process. So it is definitely kind of nice to, it, it, like it's, it's, it breaks the, the expectation to hear Gatsby as a static site generator, but really it's a, an app. So we've, we've stopped calling it a static site generator. We're, we're still not quite sure what to call it, but it, it seems to be like a, a pre-rendered progressive web app generator is kind of what we're what we're starting to move toward. Um, uh, it feels jargony, but it, it's also <laughs> like it's it's the it's most true. accurate way of looking at it. I actually really like the yeah, Kyle's um, uh, mental model of thinking about that, like uh, um, server side render the app for uh, like every page that you have. It's uh, it's kind of explains everything in like one short sentence. So I, I would definitely use it. Uh, yeah, I, I will be stealing that as well. Uh, yeah, but yeah, great. I, I had a I had a small question on the incremental builds. Uh, <laughs> so I had a on, on kind of going back to the incremental build stuff, right? I am super excited about um, incremental builds because I think one of the use cases that I've been seeing quite a bit, especially with um, very interesting use cases where um, people are kind of uh, running um, uh, data science stuff uh, or, or statistical analysis on data and then putting that into their Postgres database and then creating like these Gatsby um, Gatsby apps and, and, and Gatsby sites that fetch that data from Postgres at build time using using Hustler for, for the GraphQL layer. And, and that kind of works really well. But as the size of that data, you know, or, or if that data changes frequently, um, having incremental builds to kind of keep re-rendering your site um, as data changes in Postgres would be amazing. Um, and, and one of the things that, that we can do with the, with the GraphQL layer at Hasura is that we, we have really good support for real-time subscriptions or live queries. Um, and so I was wondering for the incremental builds, does the problem become easier by imposing a constraint on the GraphQL data provider and and using subscriptions uh, to kind of get notified of data changes? Like, does you know maybe having like a relay spec to um, using something using an idea derived from the relay spec to say, um, hey GraphQL server, if you tell me what changed in a particular way, then that makes incremental builds easier for us. Um, is, does that have you have you been thinking about that, or does that does that kind of make sense? So I I can't 
answer that question, um, I would I would not be the right person to to answer that question. Um, that would be a, a question better suited for um, the, the the people who are actually doing the work. <laughs> um, so my 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 initial instinct is that for the real time stuff, that would probably make the most sense to have kind of a um, rehydrate and then query for live data and kind of hook to a subscription there. Um, but I can't imagine that that having a way to notify the build server that of just what changed, I, I don't see that being detrimental in any way. Um, but but again, I I would not be the right person to to really answer that question. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, but but that's that that's something that I would be excited about. You know, not just for like real time use cases, but also for use cases where you can start treating you know your Postgres database like the CMS. Um, and then whatever changes inside the database, you know, you can just trigger the kind of right build. So offload a part of that cache busting problem to the GraphQL server or the GraphQL provider. Um, that 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 might be really interesting as well. Yeah, I definitely think that there would be ways for for different service providers to kind of hint at it. I think the the challenge becomes if we if we rely on that, then we're expecting that you know every single service provider is then implementing that, which is probably not going to be sustainable. Um, so if, if it's anything, it would be a value add. It would, it would kind of be like a way to, to uh, your service would be nudging ahead with that, but most likely it will never be required for, for the way that we would manage it in Gatsby. Cool. So uh, we're close to, to the end of our episode. So uh, before um Wrapping up, um, something like not related to Gatsby, but morally related to uh, your personal website, uh, Jason. So um, you have these awesome um, like productivity tips that you share. So um, do you care sharing a little bit about that? Because like wh- when you when you go to uh, uh, Jason website, there is like the, the slogan of like stop burnout before it starts and reclaim hours and stuff like that and totally relates to lots of us. And um, yeah, can you elaborate a, a bit more about how you figured out uh, how to solve productivity uh, issues and uh, like make the most out of both the life and uh, like personal life and uh, uh, work life and something like that? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I the way that I learned it was was the hardest way possible. I, I worked, uh, you know, 90 plus hours for weeks on end until I got stressed out enough that my beard fell out of my head in, in clumps. Um, and so that was, that was kind of my wake up call that what I was doing was, was really not sustainable. And, and that if I expected to, you know, survive into old age, I should probably start taking better care of myself. And, uh, at that point I started doing a lot of research about, you know, just what actually is efficiency? Because I had this mental, this mental model of what productive looked like that effectively said, you should be working every waking minute of every hour or of of every day. And so I would wake up and check my email in bed and I would be either on my phone or on my computer from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to sleep and, you know, regularly skipped uh, you know, meetings with friends and walk out at dinners to take phone calls and all sorts of stuff. Right. So when I started doing research on what 
productivity actually meant. There were all these studies that showed like dating back to like the industrial revolution, they tested 60 hour work weeks versus 40 hour work weeks and a bunch of variations in between. And they realized that like after 40 hours, people's productivity starts to dip because your, your exhaustion starts to go up, which means your error rate goes up, which means that you're now spending most of that extra time working on fixing errors that never would have existed in the first place had you just been well-rested and working a reasonable schedule. Um, they've also shown that a lot of creativity is linked to being idle. So if you don't have downtime, if you're not disconnected, your subconscious never gets the space to work and have good ideas and make connections. So between the, the productivity losses of working lots and lots of hours and the creativity losses of working lots and lots of extra hours, like before you even factor in things like health impact and, you know, the quality of life impact of only ever working, um, there's a really, really strong argument for having a more measured and, and um, kind of balanced approach to the way that we work because uh, it's actually better for business. You know, the, the hustle and grind mentality tends to be focused around like push through the pain, go no matter what, you know, you'll sleep when you're dead. And it turns out that that's actually extremely counterproductive and is, is ultimately preventing people from accomplishing as much as they could were they on a more reasonable and balanced schedule. So I'm kind of, personally, I'm kind of tricking that, but uh, like what, what I do, like I basically work in uh, like various fields, like web, mobile, AR, VR, IoT, so in all of these fields and the way I uh, stay productive, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not good for my health, <laughs> but uh, for staying productive longer, what, what I do uh, when I'm re like really exhausted after working hours and hours on some project, I switch to a different project with different technology. So let's say if I'm working on uh, React Native mobile app and uh, I'm like really exhausted working on that, then I will stage to uh, I, I will uh, switch to let's say Unity 3D and working on VR and like it's completely different stack and it kind of tricks my brain to uh, just like continue going. But yeah, I agree it can be uh, at some point it will get back to me. <laughs> So I need to yeah, kind of think about and, it. And what I, what I really found was when I, when I backed it off and I started working, I was averaging about 36 hours a week. Um, I found that my productivity actually went up quite a bit. I was getting my projects done faster. And, and I think part of that was because I, I don't know that I was actually working for a lot of those 90 hours. I, I think because I was always on, it led to me spinning my wheels, like refreshing my email or scrolling through like a, a technical blog that I wasn't actually reading or retaining anything from, um, or just kind of moving things around instead of actually accomplishing things. So when I only had that limited amount of time, I tended to focus down and, and actually have a goal. I'm here to work on this because this is important and it moves the needle forward in this way. And when I was forced to articulate that so that I could say, like, I'm working on this instead of this because this is the most important thing, um, it helped me stay focused on that thing. Um, and, and, you know, I also, like, I, I, it's so hard to communicate this until you've actually done it. But the, the value for creativity and, like, feeling good about your work of quitting before you feel like you're done and like wanting to continue working when you stop working. I can't 
overstate how much that has helped my productivity and my um, like desire to do this job. Like my passion for what I do is back so much more strongly now that I typically quit my day when I'm like, oh, I want to keep going. Um, I'm just like, okay, that's as much time as I, as I should do today. And I leave, but all I want to do is like go back and keep coding. Um, that tends to be really, really good for my, my productivity and my mental health is like, I look forward to work every day. It's not like my, my all day, every day grind. Yeah, I think it's, um, Ernest Hemingway, uh, said in one of his articles about like, um, I am not sure if it was in a book or just uh, a paper, uh, like how to write books, uh, efficiently um and um he said the exact same thing you just stop in the middle of a chapter so you want to continue going and the mm. next day you'll just continue from the from that place and you'll just keep going i'm not sure if it's uh, if it's him mm-hmm. who said that i i'm uh like i will google this later on but uh yeah <laughs> uh i might uh like assign something to him and it's not his or like either way around but uh i think it was him who said that uh yeah and um i totally can relate to that and uh, i also like um wh- when i um uh quit doing something in the middle of the, of the process i like really uh i really want to get back to like continue coding on the next day and uh but sometimes it turns out to be like a couple of hours of sleep and then i just wake up to continue coding but uh yeah um yeah. cool so I don't, I, I also think like it, it, one of the things that's been really valuable for me too, is like taking a day off the computer to do literally anything else. And I'm typically not happy about it. I typically won't, I'm like, Oh, I would rather be accomplishing this thing, but it always, uh, it, it puts way more back in the tank than if I would have, uh, tried to work for seven days a week. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, sounds cool. And, uh, on that note, I, uh, on that note, uh, I want to wrap up our episode it was really interesting episode about, uh, uh, Gatsby. And we totally need to uh, talk about productivity and maybe, uh, uh, later episodes. Cause, uh, I feel it's, it's a huge topic we can discuss later on. <laughs> um, so to wrap up. Yeah, totally. Uh, to wrap up, I want like each one of our panelists and uh, yourself, if you can just share a couple of pics with the, with the, our listeners, um, maybe links they should check out and uh, yeah. So Jason, who wants to go first? Yeah, yeah, stuff first. Okay, um, I, I think the. The things that I'm most excited about right now are, uh, are Gatsby themes. Um, and so I, I would definitely recommend checking out the, the live stream that we did recently on that. Uh, and then also, if you're interested in React hooks, we just launched a use static query React hook so that you can uh, get at your data with a little less ceremony than the, the traditional static query approach. Nice. I, I actually streamed using um, React Apollo hooks with uh, like last Thursday. Um, awesome. yeah, and it feels like if you have like nested mutation and query and you just use, use square and use mutation and with suspense mm-hmm. for the, the loader, it feels like magic. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Uh, Kyle, do you have uh picks? Yeah, I've got one pick. Uh, people often ask me like ways to keep up 
with what's going on in the industry. And one of the ways I do is through ponyfoo.com and their newsletter. Mm. Um, PonyFoo is a really great uh, website and newsletter that every week comes out with links to articles uh, around the web, especially related to what's going on in the JavaScript ecosystem. And it's just a lot of fun. I think it's put together by a guy named Nicholas Bavacqua, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I hope I didn't butcher it too badly, but PonyFoo, go check it out. I thought his name was Pony. <laughs> I thought that was a name. I was like, oh, Asian dude with the first name. Uh, yeah, I like I like that I like that newsletter too. I've I've been subscribed for a while. Um, um, huh. uh, I was gonna pick hooks, but it seems like hooks have already been picked. Um, I'm I'm gonna pick um, docs doc z or DOCZ, I guess, uh, dot site. Um, so it's like a, it's like kind of like storybook. It's for internal components. Um, and it, it works well if you're working on an app or, or a personal site, just like sort of documentation using MDX with zero config. Um, and uh, so I've helped out with like some of the issue grooming. And just this morning, they launched a Gatsby theme. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it because it's been developed by this guy, Pedro, um, who's, who's the creator of Docs. Um, but I'm pretty excited about that because um, anything that makes documentation of components easier, um, you know, makes documentation easier, which uh, is always a good thing. Cool. I'm super excited about that one too. Yeah. Palmai, do you have picks? Um, yeah, I, I have two quick ones. I think one, by the time the podcast will be out and something I'm super excited about is um, working on a, a, a kind of a, a small plugin that converts a GraphQL query to a chart.js uh, to a chart.js input automatically. So you kind of create a GraphQL query, you alias, um, you know, the fields that you're fetching as X and Y and stuff like that. And, and it kind of, you get a pie chart or a, uh, or a line chart. And if you use subscriptions, you can get like a real time kind of time series chart as well, uh, super easily. Uh, and I'm so I'm 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 very excited about that. Uh, and on the non-tech side, I I'm just I'm planning to start reading a book called um, Red Red Wolf and Black Black Leopard Red Wolf by Marlon James. I'm not sure if you folks have heard of it, uh, but it sounds super exciting. Uh, it's like a uh, it's a trilogy. It's a fantasy trilogy kind of thing that's coming out. So um, super excited to get uh, started reading that as well. Cool. So uh, my picks for today will be. <clears throat> Basically, um, I, I will be doing lots of uh, um, new stuff in like next, uh, like in upcoming months. So, uh, so first of all, I'm uh, doing free GraphQL bootcamp uh, hosted on taliomagiris.com uh, and will also be on YouTube. Uh, I did ReasonML bootcamp um, in January. So, if you're interested in ReasonML or in GraphQL, um, so these are. Um, four days boot camps with homework assignments and uh, like really hands-on um i uh, i'm starting to stream twice a week on mondays and thursdays so on mondays uh, it's uh, my own stream um and uh, on thursdays hasura streams so hasura streams will be more of building like different um, um like demo apps and um, cool things with Hasura. And my Monday stream will be more of a, like an open stream of doing um, 
uh, doing stuff, I guess. Um, so if you're interested in those, just like follow me on Twitter at um, Vladimir Novik, and um, I will post all updates there. Um, yeah, so this is for for my picks. And uh, to wrap our episode, thanks a lot to um, our uh, panelists. Uh, thanks a lot, Jason, for uh, uh, being here with us and and. Um, speaking about Gatsby and giving us a lot of uh, uh, like a lot of insights on, on Gatsby and how to um, like w- what will be the updates and what the, the, the progress is. Um, yeah, so thanks everyone and uh, thanks for Hasura for uh, sponsoring this stream and um, goodbye. <laughs>